Proverbs chapter 10. Um, as we continue to look at the last two-thirds of Proverbs by narrowing in on the specific topics and issues uh, the book of Proverbs addresses in those sections. Today, on a holiday week, we're going to talk about work and the fact that God values work. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 10, we'll be in Proverbs 6, Proverbs 27, we'll, we'll jump around. So just, just hang on tight and we'll, we'll see what the book of Proverbs and what God's word as a whole tells us about the work that we do. Larry read to us a little bit of um, the highlights of the Declaration of Independence in his prayer. And as we celebrate um, the anniversary of the Declaration um, this week, we celebrate the 4th of July and what that means to our nation and our freedoms. I was reading, um, I kind of enjoy reading about American history and the revolutionary period at times. And I was reading something about Washington's leadership in that season. And Washington as a leader of the Continental Army in 1776 was just this sort of like larger than life figure who gained so much respect from the troops and so much respect from, um, from the, um, uh, just the, the, the colonists as a whole, those that were in the army, those that were representatives of the con Continental Congress that was meeting. But there was a great struggle with morale in those troops of the Continental Army in the summer of 1776. And it came from a very specific question. And the question is, what are we doing this for? What are our goals? Because different representatives to the Continental Congress were bringing different goals into that meeting. And for many of them, the goal was just to be able to negotiate better taxation laws with, with, the, with England and with Britain to coordinate a better representation for the colonists so that they were not taken advantage of and overtaxed. No taxation without representation. But for many, the Continental Congress was, we need independence. They're, they're, we're never going to, to, going to get equal rights as citizens. We need full-on independence. But then the guys that were in the trenches, that were fighting the battles, that were staring into New York Harbor and seeing this endless array of ships of the British Navy, they didn't know what they were fighting for. They didn't know if they were sacrificing their lives and watching their friends die for a better tax rate or for full-on independence and what the battles they were facing would actually mean over the long run. So as I was reading this week, I was just reflecting on the significance when Washington had the Declaration of Independence delivered to the army and had it read aloud and what that changed, the, the clarity, the purpose, the meaning in the sacrifice, something shifted, not just in the Continental Congress, not just in the colonists spread throughout the 13 colonies, but in the army itself, something shifted when they heard those words of independence because they knew we're not fighting for lower taxes anymore. We're fighting for something new, something different, for, for new opportunity to, to start our own nation. And that meaning, that purpose, that new framework gave such purpose to their work 
that it re-energized an army that at that time truly was struggling with morale, and you can see it in Washington's journals himself. As he's writing to representatives of the Congress saying, we need to know what we're doing. We need clarity. The scripture says, without vision, people perish. Many of us go to work every single day, not with a clear vision of what difference it's making in the world, in our lives, in our families. We know we need a paycheck. We know we need to eat. We know that we have basic needs that need to be provided for. But there's something that can be, and Proverbs says this, something that can be and is suffocating about work without purpose, work without a clear vision. And that's what leads us to such despair in the work that we do. Proverbs has an answer for that. Proverbs has purpose for us. And I'm going to tell you quite simply where we're going today. What Proverbs says to us about work is that we should work hard for a purpose found only in Christ. That's basically our three points for today. Work hard for a purpose, and that purpose must be found in Christ. Those are our three points that we're taking for this morning. That's what we see from work and the importance of hard work in Proverbs. And we'll start in Proverbs chapter 10. As God tells us, work matters. And hard work, in particular, is what honors him most. Proverbs 10.4 says it like this. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Remember, we've talked about this before. Proverbs is full of probabilities more than promises. So you don't see in this verse an opportunity to, to hold God to a promise that you will be rich if you do it this certain way, if you work this certain way. But what I want you to see is the, the illustration, the word picture that he's creating here. What does a slack hand mean? The slack hand that causes poverty. The slack hand doesn't necessarily do no work. This is not the sluggard that is referenced in other parts of Proverbs. We'll go to Proverbs chapter 6 in a minute, and we'll, we'll talk about the ant and the sluggard. The slack hand in Proverbs 10.4 does not do, do is not the, pro, the problem is not that he does no work. The image of the slack hand is the image of pulling, pulling back a bow with an arrow and leaving slack in the bow. He pulls the bow back, but he doesn't pull the bow back with the bow back with full strength, with full diligence, with full intentionality. What happens when you shoot an arrow from a slack bow? What happens is that you will not hit your mark. You will fall short of your mark. You can aim the bow at the right place, and you can know the direction you're going. You can know exactly what you are trying to accomplish, have clear goals, and you halfway pull back that bow that arrow does not reach its target because a slack line doesn't give the full strength to follow through and finish the task. That's the picture that Solomon is giving us in this verse. It's not somebody that wants to do no work, that refuses work, that has no idea what they're doing and sits at home and does nothing. This is the person that thinks they're doing their job, that is technically meeting the expectations and checking boxes, 
but doing as little as possible to fulfill the job responsibilities put in front of them. That is the slack hand. And that is more dangerous than the person who does no work whatsoever. The slack hand, the person that, that is working technically, that is sort of doing his or her job, that is sort of fulfilling responsibilities, but doing as little as possible to check the boxes of those responsibilities, that is the worker that displeases the Lord and results in poverty in this passage. But the hand of the diligent, the hand of the diligent pulls the rope all the way back, pulls the bow all the way back, and therefore shoots the arrow with full force towards the target, hits the target, and results in riches here in Proverbs 10.4. Again, this verse isn't just about physical wealth. Do this and it ends in poverty, and do this and it ends in riches. It's about the principle of how we work and how God honors work. When we unpack the scriptures, when we unpack this, this ancient book of Old Covenant scriptures written to ancient Israel, it's important to recognize the context here. Because what God's word says about work is new. It's different. It is not what other religions of ancient Near Eastern cultures surrounding them believed. You look at ancient um, religious texts from different religions that were worshiping in that day. They did not value work. Look at some of these legends. The Enuma Elish. Enuma Elish, that's your vocabulary word for the day. Was a religious text written in the area around Israel that was written a little bit before the books of the New Testament or the books of the Old Testament were written. And according to the Enuma Elish, kind of a, a um, an ancient religious text, the gods created the world, and the gods were actually disappointed with the world that they created. And in the world that they created, they recognized the world, this beautiful creation that they had made, required upkeep, required cultivation and tending. And so what did the gods do? They said, this is beneath us. We are supposed to rest. We are supposed to sit around and do nothing. We are gods. So Marduk, the great god, the highest god of the group of gods, he says, I am going to create a lowly being to do work for the gods so that the gods don't have to do any work whatsoever. And this lowly being, we'll call him man, he will take care of the earth for us. And if he doesn't, we'll punish him. We'll send disasters to him. We will hold him accountable to the work that he does. But we, the gods, we will sit and we will rest while man does the hard work. There was no value in that culture in hard work. It was the menial task that God required man to do that had little purpose other than making sure God wasn't mad at you. Pandora's box, the great Greek myth that you've heard of, Pandora, you know, everything is good and beautiful in life and creation, and the gods are all enjoying creation, and then Pandora opens this box that ruins everything. Out of the box comes all these things we know about, death, decay, disease, aging, and sickness. All the problems in humanity come out of Pandora's box. And you know what the Greeks also believed came out of Pandora's box? Work. Work was one of the problems that the world faced that came out of Pandora's box. And when the world was good and perfect and beautiful, there was no such thing as work. That's what the 
Babylonians believed from the Enuma Elish. That's what the Greeks believed in the myth, uh, mythology of Pandora's box. But Hebrews, the Old Testament, taught something different. Because on day one, God gets his hands in the dirt. God doesn't sit back and wait for man to do everything. But when God creates the world, God is in the dirt himself, forming man from the dust of the ground. He forms the earth. He separates the earth and, and the seas and, and the sky and night and day. He does all of that himself, and God works for six days in the Bible's ver version of the creation of the world. I need you to understand, we do not look at each of these religious texts and say, well, they're all equal, and let's pick which one is the best. I look at it to say, the Bible is true. I believe the Bible is true in its, in its description of creation. The reason those other traditions are important is that they say something that is very contrary to the Bible. And it shows, one of the verses we talked about last week, there's a way that seems right to man, and its end is destruction. All these other ideologies say work is bad, work is evil, work is menial and worthless. And the Bible from day one says work is good, work has purpose. You were created as a human being with a purpose, and you were created to work. And the, the importance of you working is based in you being created in the image of a God who works himself. Not a God who sits in heaven and watches while we do all the hard work. That's not how Genesis 1 through 3 plays out. It's not that God creates and then sits around and rests. No, he rests for one day, and then he goes back to work. He goes back to work in, in speaking to man, in, in leading man, and in sustaining the world that he has created. Because the world doesn't just get set into motion by a distant God who then watches from afar. God continually renews, restores, and sustains the created world and speaks to us, works through us as we do the same. Cultivate the world that God has created. Genesis 3, man sins. Everything gets messed up. Thorns and thistles infest the ground. We know that story. But work exists before that. The purpose of work exists from the very beginning that God creates man. Man is created, again, in God's image as a worker, like God works, like God finds purpose and, 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 and meaning. God creates, cultivates, God speaks, all of those things are work that God does, and he gives us meaning and purpose in the work that we do. And so when Proverbs says, work hard, don't be slack in your work. Be diligent. Know that it's because God is a worker from the beginning and God has created us to work. God creates paradise. Paradise meaning the ideal condition, the absolute ideal environment for human flourishing and what exists in paradise. Work. The man has a job. The woman has a job. Gardening, cultivation, then you look at this idea of God as a worker and God valuing work. You look at it throughout all of Scripture. God starts as a gardener and he makes the first man a gardener. How does God reveal himself through his son? As a carpenter. Jesus didn't come just preaching and teaching. Jesus came 
as a physical laborer, born to a physical laborer, Jesus did work. And Jesus represents or shows us what God is like. God did not come as a general. God did not come as a politician. God did not come in any of these, these um, vocations that man would respect so greatly. The Romans, the Greeks, they would have chosen a general. They would have chosen somebody that could, that could lead masses. Jesus didn't come as a general. Jesus came as a carpenter. Jesus came as a serpent, as a servant. Jesus came not just to preach and to teach, but to serve. Throughout Scripture, we see God as an artist, as a gardener, as a carpenter, as one that invests in people and creation, and as a preacher, and as a teacher. All of those vocations, all of that work, is work that God does. Healer, sustainer. So we work not because it's evil, but because work is good. Because we were created in God's image to be workers. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 10, poverty comes to the person that works a little bit, but not hard enough, not diligent enough, not with discipline. Proverbs 6, poverty comes to the person that does no work, the sluggard. And throughout Proverbs, you see that. You see that picture on display. But what we also have to see, Proverbs 10, 5, what we also have to see is that we are not just called to work hard, but we are called to work hard for a purpose. Because let's be honest, everyone in this room that's ever had a job has had a job that they hated. And there's something so discouraging and so frustrating about that. But then if you've ever been lucky enough to find meaning and purpose in the work that you do, to get paid for something that you believe brings meaning and purpose, you know how beautiful that can be, how valuable that can be. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficult work seasons where we hate the job that we do, we hate the work that we do day to day. He allows us to experience that so we know what it's like to actually find purpose and meaning in a good job. And the work that we do, just to be clear, doesn't have to be paid. We don't have to apply this scripture, this section of scriptures. We don't have to apply that to just the work that results in a paycheck. Because the work of the household is good. The work of volunteering in a community, in a local church, however you spend your time, is good and purposeful. But there must be a purpose in it or it sucks you dry. Proverbs tells us that. First in Proverbs 10.5, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Something about the purpose found in this passage is interesting. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who, brings har- who, he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Look at the wording closely there. It's not talking about a servant. It's talking about a son. 
One of the things that we also have to overcome as we look from a modern perspective on an ancient book is we look back to an ancient book written to ancient Israel that says that shame is, is an important motivator or factor to consider. Sonship is an important factor to consider in work and economics. Why is that? What this passage is trying to show us here is that failure in work is a failure to family. Failure to work is a failure to community. Failure to work is a failure to one's society. What Proverbs 10.5 is telling us here is that a lazy person who refuses to work hurts those who love him, hurts those who are connected to him, hurts those who depend on him. And so the work that a person does does not just affect that person. This is something that in our individually centered culture we don't see as clearly. Because what we have done as a culture is we have made everything about me and mine. We've made everything about our own perspective. And so my actions don't affect you unless your, affection, unless your actions affect me, and then I get really upset. But I do what I want, and it should have no effect on you. That's what our culture says. But what Proverbs 10.5 tells us is that the person that does not work does not just affect themselves and their own standing, their own physical standing, their own wealth, their own um, economic standing, they affect the whole family. This is something that we must not take too lightly, that when we fail to work for a purpose, we lose sight of the importance of the work we do within a community. So how do you find purpose in work? You find purpose in what your work brings to a community, to a society. You find purpose in what your work provides for your family, in what your work contributes to other people. That's particularly true in a, a service industry. You might find meaning in providing uh, better services to people that are in need. But even in a manufacturing setting, you work to provide better products to people who benefit from your products because they're useful, because they're beautiful, because they, they are functional in whatever way. You can find meaning in that not just in a paycheck, but in what you bring and contribute to others. That's how God wants us to find purpose in our work. Not in ourselves, but in what we deliver to a society around us. Uh, Dorothy Sayers is a, a British author who wrote um, over 60 years ago about the modern view that people become doctors for their own advancement in society. Whereas a generation before Sayers, people would become doctors not to advance their own place in society, but to help people, to serve people. Sayers lamented the fact that people became lawyers to advance in society, again, to be at a higher economic standing, not because they cared about law and justice. People became government leaders because they really liked the idea of authority and control, not because they wanted society to be a better place. We live two generations after Sayers, and live in the same sort of mindset. So often we think of the work of our hands for what it contributes to us and our family only. And what if, just what if, you thought of the work of your hands as not just resulting in a paycheck that fed you and your family, but as something 
that brought meaning and brought advancement to those around you, that helped those around you. You're not just manufacturing a product so that you can make more money than the other guy. You're manufacturing a good product, an efficient product, so somebody else can enjoy that product. You're not just programming so that you can receive a paycheck. You're programming so that other people can use the system you're programming with greater ease and greater functionality so that they can do their jobs better, so that they can be more successful in their time. They can manage their time better. They can bring glory to God in the work of their hands. You're not just sitting in that classroom full of kids that drive you insane because you want a paycheck, but because you want to contribute something to those kids, to those families, to find meaning and purpose in the work of your hands. Maybe this is idealistic of me because I'm the guy that works for the church. I'm the guy whose job is to talk about Jesus and talk about eternal things. So maybe you, you sit and you listen to me and you think, well, it's easy for you to find some sort of purpose in glorifying God or find some sort of eternal meaning in the job that you do. But I really don't believe it's limited just to those of us that work to serve the church, those of us that are full-time Christians on staff at a church. I believe it is true for any of us in any of the work of your hands because here's the thing. I told you what God's vocations are. God was a gardener. God was a, a, a carpenter. God is a preacher. God cultivates, grows, shapes, heals. In any of those professions, whether you work for a church like myself or you work for a garden center like my wife, those are professions that God honors because when God spoke and God preached the truth to people, God also cultivated the land. And God called people to cultivate, to bring beauty out of the dirt that he created. There's purpose in that too. Because gardening brings beauty. And God values beauty. God values art. God values the work of any of us that we do. Are there limits? Sure, there are limits. There are, work, there are vocations you can select that do not honor God. We do not have to list, list those. You're smart people. But within any other vocation that we can choose from that does not explicitly dishonor God, we can find ways to honor God by serving people, by contributing to society, by making good products, by working hard, by being prudent and diligent in the work of our hands. Colossians says, whatever you do, work as unto the Lord and not for man. You don't work for your boss. You don't work for your paycheck. You work for God to bring glory to him and to hopefully bring some sort of value to the society and the community that you live in because you want other people to thrive. You want other people to flourish. And God says that human flourishing involves work because the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden was the center of human flourishing the ideal situation for man and woman to live and flourish. And they had a job to do. They had a job to cultivate. So we are to, in Proverbs 10.4 and in Proverbs 6, we are to work hard. Proverbs 10.5, for a purpose. Proverbs 13.4 says it like this. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 13.4. 
tells me, this is, this is my translation of Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. What I think that means is that when you do not find purpose and meaning in your life and in your work, it sucks your soul dry. The soul of the sluggard craves but gets nothing for that craving while the diligent worker is blessed, finds purpose in work, finds meaning. Work gives meaning to life. If you've ever been in a season where you didn't know what you were supposed to do, maybe you were in a job transition, maybe, maybe you were trying to seek out what your career is supposed to be, you finish school, you don't know what you're supposed to do with your life, and you take a menial job that you hate, and you can't figure out where's my purpose, where's, where's my meaning in the work of my hands, or maybe you're at a place of retirement, and the way you used to find meaning is, is gone now, it's been taken away from you, and you're sitting in retirement, you don't know what to do, you're, maybe you're physically limited, maybe your goal and your purpose in life, the way you found meaning in your work was in raising children who are now out of the house and don't depend on you the way they used to. Every one of us has had this question that Proverbs 13, 4 gives us. How do we find meaning when the work of our hands isn't bringing us that meaning? Where do we find that purpose when it seems like the work of our hands no longer brings us that purpose and that meaning. Proverbs 22.9 gives us a little bit of the question for those of us that readily have a career and a job that we're, we're there to work. Proverbs 22.29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 22.29 doesn't define what type of work that is, but just simply says, if you are skillful, you will be honored for your skill. Whether it is a job that is considered menial in the eyes of society or is a job that is considered very noteworthy in the eyes of society, when you are skillful, your work is honored and you will stand before those of great reputation. But what about, I know this question is out there and it's a valid one, it's a valuable one. What about the, purpose, what about the person who doesn't readily know what work they're supposed to be doing. How am I supposed to fill my calendar? How am I supposed to fill my days? Because I'm in a stage of retirement, not working every day. I, I'm at a diminished uh, physical capacity. I don't have the energy I once had. I don't know how to work. I don't know how to serve. The church tells me I should volunteer in this area, this area, this area, and I just physically can't. How do I find purpose? How do I find meaning? I had a friend tell me, came back from 30 years on the mission field. And he said, the place that Christians suffer in finding meaning, that they just completely disregard, is the place of prayer within the life of the church, within the life of society, within the life of the kingdom. He said, for, for 30 years, I served on the field. I served in the trenches. And I served and I recognized that I could only survive doing the real work of the kingdom through prayer. Prayers offered by myself and prayers offered by others back home. Because nobody on the front lines doing the work that excites us all, nobody on the front lines can survive without the prayers of the saints back home, without the prayers of those that may feel like they're they don't know how to contribute to society at this stage of life. They don't have the energy they once did to do the work that they feel like is really purposeful. 
And I would encourage you, if, that, if you've ever had that question, find purpose, find meaning, in encouragement to others, in prayer for others, in the simple notes of encouragement that I receive that give so much meaning and purpose in my life. There are things that anyone in any stage can do to serve Christ, to find meaning, and to find purpose. And so much of it, you can't work that nine-to-five job anymore. So much of it is found in how you live in connection with Christ and how you choose to connect with others. Connection with Christ through prayer, connection with others through encouragement. There's purpose, there's meaning, there's value, and that's an antidote for what Proverbs 13, 4 says, will suck your soul dry because the lazy person craves and gets nothing, but the diligent is, with, is richly supplied. So we know we need to work. We know we need to find purpose in our work. And Jesus is the only way to do that. Proverbs 15, 19. Turn there. It's easy to miss how valuable this passage is to us. Proverbs 15, 19 is kind of in the middle of, of this long chapter that, again, you read through Proverbs and you think, I just don't know what this chapter is about because it feels like it's about 15 different things. I understand. I'm sympathetic towards that viewpoint. But sometimes you find this gem, like in Proverbs 15, 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Okay, first reading. First reading. You look at that and you think, well, so I get the first half of that, that if I choose a life of laziness, then it's going to feel like a hedge of thorns. And one, one first interpretation, one first connection point from that is that sometimes the person that is not diligent in their hard work feels like it's everybody else's fault when really their work, their laziness in their work has created this hedge of thorns for them. And you think, oh man, I lost another job. Can you believe how unlucky I am? Can, can you believe that this I, third boss in a row that just doesn't like me and just targeted me? Well, that's exactly what the sluggard would say, that his path is just so hard, it's a hedge of thorns, when really he has some control over that. The diligence that he puts into the work of his hands can help him to walk in a straighter path, but there's an even deeper meaning than that. That's a good application of that, by the way. But there's a deeper meaning here. Because let me ask you a question. The second half of that verse, the path of the upright is a level highway. Who gets to go on that highway? Who gets to go down the highway? Because doesn't Proverbs basically tell us that it's really hard to be upright? Like, it, it tells us there's wisdom over here, and here's folly over here. Choose the wise path. Avoid the foolish path. But Scripture tells us from the beginning and repeated in the book of Proverbs, it's really hard to be upright. In fact, it's impossible to be righteous, to be upright. And so how do we get to that point where we don't have to be living in the thorns, but we get to ride down the level highway? The word thorns is significant because as I already said work is good work was God's idea work is at the beginning of the scriptures before the fall but then what comes with the fall thorns Genesis 3 thorns come in and what was once purposeful and meaningful in the work of our hands 
is now filled with thorns. And the man's job of cultivating is harder now than it was because now there's thorns infesting the ground. And then, you know what Jesus did, right? Jesus was the one who, according to Galatians 3, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. It's Galatians 3.13. What Galatians 3.13 tells us is what you know from joy to the world, right? Joy to the world tells us that no more shall sin and sorrows reign nor thorns infest the ground because he comes to make the blessing know far as the curse is found. Jesus took the thorns. There, the author of Proverbs, when Solomon is writing down these collection of thoughts, he has no idea what he's doing sometimes. I mean, he knows what he's doing in the first application, which I already gave you, that if you're lazy, it's going to feel like you're always running into obstacles, and some of those obstacles are more of your own creation than you realize. That's what, that's what Solomon was thinking when he wrote this. What Solomon didn't know as he wrote this was that one day the Son of God would come to earth, and they would mock him to such a degree that they would take thorns and make a crown of thorns and place it onto his head and pierce and cut into his skin. And that as Jesus' blood was shed from the crown of thorns that he wore, what he was doing was he was taking the curse, literally, he put, they put the curse on his head. The thorns were emblematic of the curse of sin. And those thorns were placed on his head, cut into his scalp. And as blood ran down his face, he was taking the curse away for us so that we no longer have to live in the sluggard's way of the hedge of thorns, but rather the path of the upright, that word means righteous, and the only way to reach righteousness is through the gift righteousness of Jesus. The path of the righteous is a level highway. And that means, brothers and sisters, it means that your work, yeah, it's, it's going to feel monotonous. It's going to feel meaningless at times. You're going to wonder, why am I doing this? And then you have the hope of Proverbs 15, 19 that says, even when your work seems hard, what is most true of you in Christ is that Jesus has created for you a level highway to ride, to, to go on. Have you ever been in Atlanta where just it's not fun to drive sometimes. And then you just, you're driving down and you see this like express lane. Have you ever taken the express lane? And then you're up and you're like those privileged few that paid for it that are driving on this raised up highway looking down on the peons below that are just stuck moving slow. That's the level highway of the righteous. This is, that's the attitude of the life of Christ. Because you know what? We're on the same road. We're going the same difficult direction. We're facing many of the same obstacles. But the righteous mind has the ability to take a perspective above and beyond the cares and concerns of this world and say, yeah, my work feels really thorny right now. I'm coming up against all of this this, uh, these obstacles, all of these problems, all of these cares and concerns of the world are really, are really sucking my hope dry right now. But I can rest. You know, that's, that's what we're missing in our work. Hope and rest. 
That's what makes work so difficult, so monotonous. We don't know if we're making a difference, and we can't get enough rest because we're working too hard. But if you can get to the point where you have hope that the work that you do, even the small tasks, have an effect on people that can serve to to echo into all of eternity, as you love people, as you serve people, as you seek to bring honor and glory to Christ, there is an eternal impact that comes from that. And when you have that hope, and we have the assurance that sometimes you can just rest in God's presence, and you don't have to work hard seven days a week. In fact, God wants you to rest in his presence and in his community one day a week to unplug from the work of your hands, to be with him and be with others that love him and follow him. What ends up happening is we have a new perspective on our work. Just like those soldiers had when the Declaration of Independence was read to them. They understood what, we were, what they were supposed to be doing. They had a new purpose. They had new goals. And so my prayer for you is that nobody's going to go out tomorrow and quit their job. My prayer is that you're going to go out tomorrow and you're going to find new meaning, new purpose. That even when this job is frustrating and discouraging, God has placed me here. God has put me in this office. God has put me in these relationships. He wants me to make the best of it for his glory. So how do we move to action? We assess our work. Colossians 3.23 says, do everything you do, work as unto the Lord. You should realistically assess the work of your hands. Am I working hard or am I a sluggard? Am I truly working hard as unto the Lord in my career, in the work of my hands? And am I using the opportunities afforded me by my career, by my workplace, to share Christ with others, to encourage others, to share the love of Christ? Assess your work, review your purpose. Maybe your struggles in your work life come from a lack of purpose, from a lack of awareness of of why you're doing it and what you're doing it for. And finally, you fight for hope and for rest in the work of your hands. Those three perspectives close this for us. We assess our work, we reassess our work, we review our purpose, and we fight for hope and rest because God rested one day a week and God provided the hope for you to do that hard job, for you to do that job that feels like it's meaningless at times, but to do it with hope for his kingdom that you will have an opportunity to bring honor and glory to him in the work you do. The team's going to come up. They're going to close us with a song, but I really want this to be a time of reflection for you because I don't believe that it's just preachers that are called to find hope and eternal purpose in the work of their hands. I think it's true of artists. I think it's true of gardeners, of farmers, of accountants, of salespeople, of anyone in manufacturing. There's great purpose and there's hope to be found. And so maybe what your response today is, I need to find my hope in Jesus and Jesus, I need you to direct me how I live my professional life. Because I have questions. I don't know how to find purpose there. If you don't, ask him, and he'll show you. Uh, Jess told me one day, again, Jess, she's not a preacher. She doesn't work for the church. Sometimes she feels like she does, but she doesn't. She works for a garden center. And one day she said, you know, I'm just going to pray. 
I'm going to pray that God gives me an opportunity with somebody today. Somebody today that God's going to bring into my life, that's going to walk into the store, and I can build a relationship and maybe point to Jesus. And I remember the day we had that conversation. And he did. And the fruit that came from that day and that relationship is still being born over a year later. It was an incredible answer to prayer. It was just a simple prayer. God, give me an opportunity today. And he showed up in tremendous ways. Maybe it's that simple for you. Or maybe there's a total reconfiguration of your work-life balance to find rest and to find hope to honor Jesus in all ways. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, Faithful. 
morning asking for your continued direction. Father, I pray that your people would be known as hard workers that bring value to their companies, to their society, to their community, but that we would be known as hard workers not because we're trying to gain some personal notoriety or personal benefit, but we come to be known as hard workers because we want to serve we know that you long for us to work hard and work for you. So, Father, may we be diligent, responsible, and hardworking in our vocations and in your kingdom. Give us each opportunity this week. May we pray the prayer, God, give us somebody. Give us a conversation. Give us a person that we can share with, that we can speak to, that we can encourage. Because, Father, your kingdom continues to expand. And we're the ones missing out if we don't walk in faithfulness and become a part of all that you are doing. So grant us wisdom as we follow you this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.